Welcome to Medicine for Good podcast. I am your host, Dr. Julieta Gabiola, clinical professor of medicine at Stanford University. What drew me to medicine was the science, the innovation, and the promise for a comfortable life. But what has kept me in medicine are the real people, their lives, and their stories, as well as the translation of medical innovations into practical applications. This podcast will explore experiences beyond the walls and corridors of the hospital, laboratories, and clinics. I invite you to share in our journey seeking to preserve and improve our lives, our sense of balance, and our well-being. Adversities and suffering abound. They surround us. Wars, earthquakes, flooding, accidents, illness, loss of a family member, loss of a limb or eyesight. The list goes on and on. All of us have been affected by adversities. Doctors, more importantly, see and experience this daily. This pandemic has made us pivot in how we practice medicine, ill-prepared in seeing all these sufferings. It made us fearful, anxious, and uncertain about life, our purpose, and our well-being. We need courage to face our fears and resilience to be able to get up and recover from all these setbacks. On this podcast, few of my experiences are highlighted at the graduation of the interns in Tondo Medical Center. And this podcast may indirectly share how I overcame adversities. It is through courage, resilience, and perseverance. Resilience is not inborn. It's not a fixed trait. It changes. It evolves. So how have I built resilience without knowing it? How did I learn how to not just survive, but thrive? And how did I do it? It was not intentional, but somehow, unconsciously, I was building my toolkit. So what is in my toolkit? It's filled with positive emotions. So when I stumble, the positive energy flows out from it and affects others positively. I spend energy on things I can change and ignore the things I cannot do anything about. I just spend minimal time on things that I can't do much about. I tune into the good and not to the bad or the ugly. Each day, I remind myself of what was good that day and what went well that day. I try to practice appreciation and gratitude each day. Every accomplishment is an opportunity for growth. I always look forward to something. I look at what I live for each day. I focus on serving or helping others. I give myself the locus of control. Perseverance and courage I learned earlier during my formative years. I practice self-compassion, that it is okay to fail, that it's okay not to be perfect, and it is okay to stumble here and there. Be kind to oneself. We all have choices in life. We could deny, we could cope, or we could thrive. I always choose to thrive. You too can build up a toolkit such as this one. I welcome you to podcast number 30.
Dr. Isabella Estrella, Medical Center Chief, Dr. Cristina Acuesta, Chief of Medical Professional Services, Dr. Noel Coronel, Chief Training Officer, Dr. Reginald Matuban, Medical Training Officer, Dr. Diane Formelosa, President of the Postgraduate Interns Association of Tondo Medical Center, educators, faculty, program planners, staff, parents, families, guests, and graduates. Good morning. I am honored to have been invited to deliver the keynote to you today. Resilience and courage were the key points that I was asked to highlight. These are key ingredients to success in the 21st century, attributes that we can develop and nurture to cope with these unprecedented times, times when no one is immune to the tragic effects of this pandemic. So where do resilience and courage come from? Are we born with these attributes? Are they innate traits or are they outcomes? When we observe a 10-month-old trying to walk few steps and falls and then gets up again, is that inborn courage or resilience? Resilience is our ability to bounce back from adversities, like from falling, from challenges, and from failures. It is a dynamic process of adaptation. As an educator for care faculty at Stanford, we were asked to choose a tree for our various learning communities. For mine, I chose a bamboo tree. And why? To me, it is a symbol of strength, flexibility, and resilience. It represents harmony and balance in one's life. Bamboo tree as housewarming present is given to bring good health to the recipient. When someone asks, is resilience genetics or environmental? In medical school, I learned to answer correctly. It's perhaps both. Yes, resilience is based on internal and external factors. Internal being personality traits, optimism, hardness, and self-efficacy. External or environmental factors are those like access to material, social, and psychological support or resources. These factors determine why trauma can result in either resilience or outcomes like PTSD and depression. In my talk, you will find the following elements embedded in my stories. Resilience factors like cognitive flexibility, acceptance, gratitude, self-esteem, sense of purpose, positive emotions, hope, locus of control, optimism, positive attributional style, active coping, problem solving, social support, and self-efficacy. I hope you will find these factors in my talk. Each day, I draw inspiration from people around me in my work and in my personal life. The challenges I face serve as fuel to keep me inspired to do more, to do better, to be more courageous, and to take more risk. These adversities contribute to my resilience. When people ask me, what made you courageous and resilient? What inspired you to do so and to do what you do? And I say, hope and then gratitude. Hope that tomorrow will be better than today. Hope that my next project offers a better promise. Hope 
that the people who I touch today will do the same for the next person they encounter. Hope that what I learned today will help me and the future generation of leaders. Hope that what I do now can make a world a better place. Hope keeps me going. It gives me direction. It gives me a sense of purpose and gives me the courage to keep trying to do better. If I don't have hope, life stops for me. I was born and raised in poverty in a family of 10 in the Philippines. I grew up seeing my parents, brothers, sisters work hard to survive. Food were scarce. Days without food were more frequent than I want to remember. Pulling sugar cane from a passing train or collecting snails from the rice field for dinner were frequent occurrences. Those experiences made it hard for me to pay $10 for six pieces of escargot because they were free and easy to get when I was growing up. Another experience that I will never forget is how hard my brother worked at the Philippine General Hospital canteen to collect all the leftovers because he knew that two siblings at home were waiting for food for dinner. So he brought that home. We camouflaged the spoiled taste of food by frying the heck out of it. My brother and I looked for any tree in the neighborhood to cut and decorate with scraps of white paper so it would look like halfway decent Christmas tree. To this day, I look forward to decorate my Christmas tree. That is how I appreciate what I have. I learned early by age five to start contributing to relieve the pressure in my family by selling garlic and onions in the market. On weekdays, my brother and I would wake up at 5 a.m. to pick up pandesal from the bread factory and deliver orders to people's front door. After school, we would repeat the route to collect the money. Weekends were even busier. I would sell garlic and onions in the morning and help my mom in the grocery store till noon. And by 2 to 5 p.m., I will be walking around many neighborhoods selling popsicles. I experienced inequities early on in my life. The inequities I saw did not deter me, but helped me to hope for a better life, a promise, and a dream. It all started with a dream. The dream that my life and the lives of my family would be better. Every experience made me treasure that dream, propelled me to dream more. What others had, I dreamed of. Watching a neighbor's TV with all the other neighborhood kids, trying to stretch our necks to get a glimpse of a program made me hope that one day we would also have a TV. Hope that one day I would have a bicycle, a new dress, or a new pair of shoes. Growing up, we could not afford shoes. My mom would ask neighbors in the market for hands-me-down. And their generosity, I would always remember. But the shoes were often several sizes too large. And in order to fit, I would wad newspaper inside the front of my shoe. Now I know where my penchant for comfortable shoes came from. Behaviors are learned. Because of my early life of poverty, it's difficult for me to throw anything away. It has to be given to someone else who could use it, who could appreciate it. So what is the result? A garage and storage areas full of stuff to be donated, to be shared, to be recycled, 
to serve a purpose. Someone can wear this and look spiffed up for their next interview. Or a child could use this tennis shoe to replace their flip-flops. In my 30-year journey to becoming a doctor, I managed to forget to connect the dots of how I got from point A to B or to the point where I am now. Early on, my dad believed in my capabilities. At four and a half years old, I started first grade. He said, you are ready. Not knowing, ready for what? I came to realize later he meant ready to tackle the world. Why am I so efficient and fast? Why do I trust every opportunity? Studying when I was a kid had to be done fast. The rate limiting step was the amount of kerosene in my lampara or paritan in Kapampangan. I had to read faster and write faster because when it got dark, that's it. I could no longer study. I always appreciated what I had or what I have accomplished, be it the kerosene in the lampara or the kohol in my plate or being a dishwasher in the family. In school, the fear of failure fueled my courage to not just keep going, but to excel, to have promise of a better life. Without fear, one will never be able to build the courage. Fear and courage often coexist. The only way out of fear is through it. As Roosevelt stated, the only thing we need to fear is fear itself. I remember that when I was going to the swimming pool with my kids, I could never go beyond my belly button. Although I knew how to swim, the fear within me was the one that was stopping me. So what did I do? I learned to scuba dive to conquer my fear of open water. In scuba, I have more control with my BC connected to my tank full of air. Aristotle wrote, courage is the first of human virtue because it makes all others possible. In college, fighting against Marcus' regime, fighting for principles that I only partly understood, exposed me to activism, to stand for something that I felt was right, to stand for free speech. I was 15 to 16 years old then when I had gotten involved in demonstrations exposed to Molotov bombs, tear gas, and the threats of government and military tyranny. This early activism, which was partly misguided youth, helped me channel my emotions as I saw my friends killed, raped by the military at Camp Krami. Was I fearful then? Of course I was. The experience made me think of the power the reigning president and the military had over us, over people. That fear of authority, the influence of power, can shut down one's dreams and one's future. I too could have suffered the same fate had it not been for the faculty and the dean of nursing school who helped direct me to another path. That is when I decided to plan my career, tame my emotions, guided by the wisdom of people around me, my parents, my teachers, sensible school leaders, and friends. The earlier experiences, adversities, and successes as well, a support from people I looked up to helped me build my resilience. After high school, I told my parents that I wanted to go to med school. They explained that that would not be possible. Nursing school was even far-fetched. 
I mustered the courage to convince my parents that all they will need is to cough out that tuition for the first semester and I will take care of the rest. I delivered that statement to them with more than 100% certainty. Was I sure? No, but it's worth the promise. I just knew I would get a scholarship. There were two pathways in my mind at the time, school or no school. I committed to that path of nursing as I knew it would be my stepping stone to medicine. Yes, I did finish a five-year degree in nursing with four scholarships. Then six months later, my mom found out that I applied for a working visa for the United States. She tried to stop me as she was worried. The news of Richard Speck killing those nurses in Chicago was not too long ago then. My rebuttal was, I will survive anything. You see, the one who survived that massacre was a Filipino nurse. It was Corazon Amurao. That answer, of course, did not help reassure my mother. After graduating from College of Nursing, I declined an offer to join the faculty at Far Eastern University. It is to pursue my dream, the dream to go to the United States of becoming a doctor. In that dream, I was picturing a beautiful house covered with snow. When we arrived, a group of us 40 nurses were shuttled from New York to Philadelphia just to see boarded up buildings and graffiti. I thought they were taking us to the wrong place. I stuck it out, forged forward, as going back was not an option. My experiences as a nurse motivated me to achieve the next level. I took pre-med courses while working full-time as an ICU nurse, finished medical school on top of my class to secure an internship and residency at Stanford University, which opened many doors for me. At Stanford, I feared that I will not be good enough, that I will not be accepted. I felt that I was an imposter, only to quickly learn that I was as competent and skilled as the Harvard-trained intern next to me. I learned then that in order to conquer fear, I have to step into it. As an intern at Stanford, I looked up to a colleague who I felt was an embodiment of courage. She stood up to the attendings with clear, eloquent, and forceful voice to protect us, the interns, from the unreasonable expectations of the attendings. Later, I was crushed when she committed suicide. That is when I felt that all of us were very vulnerable, that we need to build resilience to be able to walk the path of becoming an effective and a compassionate physician. Resilience will help avoid burnout and will help us perform our best. That we have to care for one another and not just be siloed off or isolated from the rest. That in order to emerge on the other side, we have to start taking care of ourselves, be self-compassionate, and build the courage to say no before we reach our wit's end. Adversities were plenty, so were successes. I married a beautiful man and had two beautiful children, but then my husband was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer and passed on at an early age of 46, leaving me with my eight and nine and a half year old children. Tough as it may have been, working two jobs to make both ends meet, plus be both parents to my kids and be at every game and every performances was challenging. I feared then that I will not be able to financially support my kids, that something may happen 
and I cannot protect them. Then I learned again to step into that fear and just work it through and be the best single parent I can be. In our lives, we do not often have many options. I learned to read EKG for extra money and complete my charts in my car while watching my children compete in soccer and honk on them when I see my kids score goal. They smile in their face that I was there, even from a distance, was just a pleasure to see. To this date, I don't know how I did it. Sometimes, given no choice, one has to step up to the occasion. Recall all the adversities that we have in the Philippines to see how we emerge even stronger. Natural and man-made calamities abound in the Philippines and many parts of the world. In the Philippines, for example, one remembers Mount Pinatubo eruption, which displaced many people from their homes, which were buried by the ashes. When Yolanda or Haiyan swept entire families and communities, when Ondoy made the entire Metro Manila look like a huge ocean, the Taal erupting and still about to erupt, the greed of the politicians, the corruption, the poverty and homelessness, deaths of our loved ones because we do not have resources, and now the pandemic. The list goes on and on and on. All these adversities, we hope, will make us more courageous and more resilient and not give up. Sometimes we succeed and more frequently than not, we fail as well. As a parent, we want the best for our children. We want to teach them and guide them and sometimes hover excessively over them. And we sometimes forget that they may need to fail to succeed, that they need to fall and skin their knees to learn how to get up, to spread their wings, to find their path. We should allow them the space and the time to learn these lessons with our guidance and support. I tell you, though, it hurts deeply to see your child experience failure. But we need to be courageous to allow them to fail. Once my kids were successfully launched, I revisited my early hopes and dreams and decided to give back to my native country and people. I joined several missions for five years and learned a lot. Going back repeatedly to the Philippines helped me trace my roots. It helped solidify my sense of purpose. I eventually founded my own nonprofit foundation, ABCs for Global Health, in 2009. I did not have funding then, only the vision for a better future for our Kababayan and in Kapampangan, our Kabalen. I felt if I did more analysis, it will lead to more paralysis. What I did instead, I just got started. I believe that what connects dreams to success is action. Action is the separator between success and failure. A friend gave me some money to get started. All I had was my vision to do good, the courage to see my dreams to fruition. Several good friends and my sister, who was my hero, gave me the courage to pursue my dream. I advise people to find those heroes in your lives. We started research to learn more about different communities, did years of medical missions, and from that we learned a lot. We expanded to the medical mobile clinic platform, started in the late 2016, 
and then telemedicine using devices, which started piloting three to four years ago in the Ayeta communities. We guided the young ones so they can take over when we cannot perform anymore. Diane Formeloso was one of my students then. Data shows that we are making a difference, that we get 85% of our patients to target blood pressure and 55% to target blood sugar levels. We are able to treat about 12,000 patients per year at a cost of $50,000 per year. So that's roughly about $5 per person per year. The hopes and dreams of my earliest years helped me build the courage and the resilience to keep forging forward, guided by my core values and principle, and learning from people I've met and the experiences I've had. Again, people around us can help us in many, many ways that we may not realize until later. In summary, have a dream. Translate that dream into action. Be guided by your purpose, your courage, your resilience, and core values. Be guided by people whose wisdom and values you trust and respect. And later, serve others or share what you have. Congratulations on your success today, which is a reflection on your innate capabilities and your hard work. But to achieve the full value of your success for the betterment of the world, you must share it as an inspiration to those following behind you. You have the ability and the opportunity to make a difference in the lives of so many people. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to Medicine for Good podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please share with family and friends. Rate and review us on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, Acast, and YouTube. Follow me on social media at Dr. Jet on Twitter and Facebook. Meanwhile, stay safe, stay well, and stay connected. See you on our next episode.